Well, good morning, Hope Fellowship. How are you all doing today? It's a wonderful joy to be here after many months and many interviews, and uh, I'm sure you'll hear more about that process later, but I am so excited for what God has in store for Hope and for my family and I moving forward in the coming weeks. But I am here to preach God's Word, not talk about myself right now, and I've entitled this message, A Vision of Hope, not because I'm going to tell you what is Hope Fellowship going to be like over the next 10 years, but because in Revelation 5, where we're going to be, we have this vision of hope. John, the apostle, has been given this vision of who God is, and this gives us great hope as we think about the challenges that we face today. So if you could, you could turn in your Bibles to Revelation 5. It may be up there as well. But before I read the text, I just need a a brief statement about the book of Revelation. You probably haven't heard many sermons on the book of Revelation, and that's because it's challenging. there's, There's some challenge because if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you'll notice it's not like other books. It's what we call apocalyptic literature. So when we think about the book of Revelation, uh, we can't take all of these images that we see literally, or else uh, it would be really confusing (laughs) if we see some of these images together. But think of apocalyptic literature kind of like a picture or a movie. And so when we see this vision that John has of the heavenly throne room, we've got to keep that in mind as we read the text. So with that, would you turn in your Bibles, if you're not there already, chapter 5 of Revelation. I'm going to be reading the first 14 verses here. This is God's Word. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals." And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. This is God's word. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer as we seek to understand his word. Father in heaven, we worship you this morning as we see this beautiful picture of who you are and who Jesus is. We ask that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word today. We ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, that he would encourage us, would rebuke us if needed, correct us and train us as we seek to better understand what you are saying to us in your word. Help us to hear your voice. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder, do you ever wonder what's happening in the world today? Where, where it's all going? Is, is the world headed somewhere? If you think about the recent events of our world, I'm sure this thought has come to your mind. What in the world is going on? We see violence increasing all the time. Just last Monday here in Highland Park, not far from here, someone busted out and started shooting people at the 4th of July parade. Seven people were killed and dozens other were injured. That was just one of many violent crimes that we've seen in the last few weeks. We see wars and rumors of wars. So Russia invaded Ukraine months ago and it destabilized our whole Western world and now we don't know what's going to happen next. And if that's not enough, there's economic strains upon all of us. Any of you who have gone to the grocery store lately know that. Whether it's groceries or gas, uh, our, our salaries aren't going quite as far as they used to, right? And it's not just these pressures out there in the world that are troublesome. There's also troubles close in here within the church, are there not? We see a lot of so-called uh, trusted Christian leaders who have fallen over the last few years. Some right here in the Chicago land area. And maybe we, we have an implicit distrust now for spiritual authority and spiritual leaders. We think maybe they're going to deceive us or are deceiving us. With all of this going on in the world, there are many believers who are now saying, I no longer believe in Jesus. They are deconstructing their faith. And it's an alarming trend. Many go on social media and tell just how much they don't believe in Jesus anymore. And so in the midst of this, it is natural to wonder, God, what are you doing? Are you really in control? Do you really have a plan for this world? Is it all going to work out in the end? And thankfully, our passage this morning in Revelation 5 gives us the answer. And it does so by lifting up our eyes, by lifting up our vantage point, not looking from an earthly horizon, but to the throne room of heaven. And we are drawn up in this image, in this vision of John's, and we get to see reality for what it really is. 
Because the throne room of God is where the center of all reality is. And so we get to see God's plan and we get to see there is a purpose. Well, our concerns about the world today are not much, likely much different than the Christians to whom John was writing at the end of the first century. These were believers who were being persecuted for their faith. Many had even died for their faith. John himself was exiled on the island of Patmos because of trusting in Jesus. And at this time, Christians were wondering, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is he in control? Because it seemed like the world was winning. People were killing Christians. There wasn't a lot of hope. And it seemed like the church was not very strong. And so John's audience needed to be reminded and encouraged that God is still on the throne. And we still need that same encouragement and that same reminder today. Because there are many voices in our world that are competing to grab our attention, are there not? Voices that offer to provide purpose and meaning for our lives. These voices come from a lot of different places. They come from social media, and we're bombarded with messages day after day. From educators and universities who are bringing down theories that they say are how the world should work, and and they're giving us a big narrative of how the world is. Politicians are also trying to do the same. Because we all want things to be made right. We all notice that the world is broken and needs to be fixed. And we want to know what is the big picture. So we have all these voices. They are bombarding us. They are coming down upon us. And with these voices ringing in our ears, our text in verse 2 of chapter 5 asks the question, who is worthy? Who is worthy? In other words, who is qualified to carry out the plans and purposes of God in this world? And we can organize the whole chapter over the, around this question, who is worthy? And we're going to do so this morning. So chapter 5 can be structured around who is worthy into three different parts. First, there is a futile search in verses 1 to 4 of the one who is worthy. Second, there is a surprising revelation in verses 5 to 7 of the one who is worthy. And then third, we witness the appropriate response when the one who is worthy is found in verses 8 to 14. So there's a futile search, a surprising revelation, and the appropriate response to this one who is worthy. Let's first look at the futile search for the one who is worthy. Just remember the context of this passage. John is in the midst of seeing a vision of God's throne room in heaven. This vision started in chapter 4 of Revelation. It continues here in chapter 5 and goes on through chapter 8. And the one seated on the throne, we learn in chapter 4, is none other than God himself. He is the one who is worshipped constantly by these four living creatures who cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. If you know your Bibles, you you recognize Isaiah 6, when Isaiah had this similar vision and heard similar voices around the throne. Well, now in verse 1 of chapter 5, John sees a scroll in God's hand. It's written within and on the back. It's sealed with seven seals. Later on, we, we know in chapters 
6 and following that these seals, when they are taken off, are, are seals and signs of judgment. But what is this scroll? This scroll isn't just any scroll. It likely represents God's fixed plans for the world. This is God's sovereign plan for the world, his plans for salvation and his plans of coming judgment. And so in verse 2, a mighty angel booms his voice and he asks, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? In other words, he's asking, who is able? Who is Who is qualified to carry out God's plans for all of history? You know, modern children's stories have tried to capture this type of scenario, this type of search depicted here. You'll remember in Cinderella, the prince is looking throughout his kingdom for the one who is worthy, the one who is worthy to wear the glass slipper and become his princess. Or you'll remember the story of the sword and the stone. Only the one who is worthy can reach and take out that sword, the worthy to be king. He could take out that sword out of the stone and he would be declared king. But this search here is so much more comprehensive than those fairy tales. We're told that no one was found in heaven worthy to open the scroll and its seals. That means no mighty angels, not Michael or Gabriel, no cherubim, no seraphim, none of the heavenly hosts, not even Satan and the demons could deceive their way into opening this scroll. Not only that, there was no one found worthy on earth, no great military leader, no religious leader, no politician or king or leader of a nation, no famous person, none of them are worthy. And if that weren't enough, the text says no one was found worthy under the earth, meaning from the realm of the dead, not Abraham Lincoln or any other great president, none of any of the prophets like Elijah or Moses or David or John the Baptist or Daniel, no one in the universe was found worthy. So what is John's response to this futile search throughout all of creation to find one who is worthy? Look with me in verse 4. It says that he began to weep loudly. He was weeping loudly. Why was he so distraught? Because John was terrified that God's promises were in danger of not coming true. He was terrified that no one would be able to fulfill God's plans for the world. That the bad guys would win, that God's judgment would never come upon those who had exiled him to Patmos, that had killed the other Christians. John was weeping out of a sense of desperation. And friends, this picture of John's desperation is the reality that millions currently find themselves in right now. All those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They have no hope, nothing they are trusting in, no human being, no organization is worthy, is worthy of their worship, is worthy of the great plan of God, is worthy to save their souls. You see, many are desperately trying to find ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose in this world, but it's a futile search because no one in all creation is worthy. 
So if you know Jesus this morning, which is many of us, let this serve as a reminder, John's weeping of the ultimate and comprehensive hopelessness for those who have not yet trusted in him. They may be smiling on the outside, but there is a hopelessness for those who don't know Christ. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, well, first, I'm glad that you are here and you are welcome here. But chances are you've been looking for something or someone who is worthy of your worship. And your journey thus far has been futile. To quote you too, you still haven't found what you're looking for. Well, thankfully, the story doesn't end with this futile search. In the next section, the suspense is ended and we are confronted by a surprising revelation of the one who is worthy. So look with me at verse 5 if you have your Bibles. One of the elders says to John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So here the elder brings a word of hope to John. He describes this one who has conquered, who is worthy to open the seals. This twofold description of this one who is worthy comes straight from the Old Testament. These are messianic titles of the Messiah to come. First, he is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Likely a quote from Genesis 49.9 where Jacob was blessing his son, saying, Judah's going to reign over you all. And he says, Judah is a lion's cub. He says, he stooped down and crouched as a lion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also the root of David, which is likely a reference to Isaiah 11, which talks about one who will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Later on in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16, we learn that this root of David is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So this shows that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the one who was foreshadowed for all of history. He is the one to whom the whole Old Testament points, and he is the one who has conquered. What has he conquered? He has conquered sin and death and the devil. But there is a surprise about this lion of Judah. As I was thinking of surprises, I was thinking of a recent TV show called The Masked Singer. You might be aware of it. The premise of this show is that celebrities are dressed up in costumes and nobody knows who the singer is. And so they have a singing competition and if someone gets eliminated, they take off this weird, sometimes it's like a bird or a robot and all sorts of things. They, they take off the mask and they, it's unveiled who the celebrity was. Normally the one who loses is not a singer, by the way. It's like an athlete or someone, someone like that. And in a similar way here, when the nature of the Lion of Judah is revealed, there is a surprising revelation. Because what John sees in verse 6 is not a lion, but a lamb. Not only that, but it was a, it's a lamb who was killed, a lamb who was slain. The image here harkens back to the Passover lamb. If you remember the story in Israel, when the Passover lamb was killed, they put blood over the door frames of the Israelites' houses so that God's wrath would not fall upon them. 
And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. It also harkens back to Isaiah 53, where the suffering servant is described as the one on whom the Lord laid the iniquity of us all. And he's described as a lamb that was led to the slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. This is the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. All these illusions that were pointing to him for all of history. The lamb has been slain and he is now alive. The lamb is standing. And this is where the unusual images of revelation that I was talking about earlier come into play. The lamb has seven horns with seven eyes. Now back in this time, a horn symbolized power and seven is the number of completeness. So what is pictured here is the lamb who is crucified in weakness, but is now all powerful. Seven horns, comprehensive power. The seven eyes are described as the seven spirits of God. And earlier in the book, at the beginning of the book in the greeting, we learn that these seven spirits of God represent the Holy Spirit. So again, the number seven being perfect or complete. This is the Holy Spirit in all his fullness gone out into the world. So what a picture, a breathtaking picture we have here of the only one who is worthy, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lion of Judah who has conquered the Root of David, but he has conquered not by annihilating his enemies, but instead laying down his very life for them. He is alive and he is all-powerful and he is all-knowing. Verse 7 says, it's this one who went and took the scroll from the right hand who is on the throne. Meaning, Jesus is the centerpiece of God's plan for human history. Only he can take the scroll that has God's plans for history. So what are some takeaways that we can uh, take from this section of the passage? The first is obvious, that only Jesus is worthy. There's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. That means we don't need to look any further than Jesus to find the hope of the world and our purpose for living. Second takeaway is the surprise of Jesus. He is the Lion of Judah, yes, and he is the Lamb of God. He is reigning in power and he has died for you. He is high and lifted up and he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus suffered in our place, dying for our sins, and he is far more glorious than you can ever imagine. No matter what you think you know about Jesus, he is far more glorious. A third takeaway is that we can have confidence that this Jesus, this lamb who was slain, this root of David, this lion of Judah, is in control of the world. Right now, he is reigning in power. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter how much we see things declining from our vantage point, he is the one who is carrying out God's purposes for all time, even now. Nothing can hinder God's plans from accomplishing, Jesus from accomplishing God's plans for the world. So now we come to the final section of our text, which highlights the appropriate response to this revelation that Jesus is worthy. 
I was thinking about appropriate responses, and I, you know, you'll learn about me. I love sports, so I, I tend to have at least one sports reference in, in most sermons. And one time, Sarah and I got to go to Boston, and we're not Red Sox fans. Uh, we're not even huge baseball fans, but we got to go to the Boston Red Sox game, and it's at Fenway Park, which is an amazing place to watch a baseball game. And this was a great game. It went into extra innings. And at the end of the game, Boston was up in the bottom of the ninth or 10th, it was probably 10th or 11th inning. And a guy from Boston hits a home run to win the game. And when he hit that home run, my arms just went up straight right away. And I was cheering like, you know, like a child had been born or something like that. It was, it was, uh, it was quite a moment. I was caught up in this moment. That was the appropriate response to a man who had just hit an amazing hit and the whole 38,000 of us did the same thing all at once. Well, it's instructive for us here on earth to see how God and the Lord Jesus are received in heaven. The appropriate response to the Lord Jesus and to God is worship epic, unending worship. And that's what we see here in verses 8 to 14. We see what worship looks like from the vantage point of heaven. We see three levels of worship here in verse 8 to 14. First, we witness the worship of the living creatures and the elders. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. Second, the, uh, the angels and, the, and all of the angelic hosts are worshiping. And then third, we see all of creation worshiping. And the point of this, the point of these three pictures of worship is that when we see Jesus for who he is, the only appropriate response is to bow down and worship. So first, let's look at verse 8 in the worship of the living creatures and the elders. There we see these four living creatures, 24 elders, falling down before the Lamb in worship. And as an aside, just an encouragement to you in your prayer life. We find great encouragement that the prayers of the saints are like incense that come before the Lord. They have bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. If you ever feel like you're praying and it just hits the wall and nothing is happening, this verse can tell you, no, something is happening. The Lord loves to hear your prayers. They're like incense to him and he is answering even if you don't see it in the moment. But there is some debate about what these four living creatures represent. Likely, again, uh, there's a lot of debate around this, but as I've studied it, it looks like the four living creatures represent the animals in all of creation, all the created life, the four living creatures. And then the 24 elders likely represent the church for all time. So the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles. So these 24 elders are angelic beings that are representing the church for all time, and the, the creatures are representing the animals. So this is the church, these are the animals singing a new praise song. And we gotta pay attention to the contents of the song because it explains why Jesus is worthy to take the scroll. And the content of the song is the content of the gospel. So verse nine says, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
Friends, Jesus alone is worthy because he died for our sins. Every single one of us was guilty before a holy God. The sentence upon us was death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Separation from God forever in hell. But as the song says, his blood ransomed us or paid the price that was due for our sin. Jesus paid the price for my sins and your sins. He bore the wrath, God's wrath that was due to you and to me for every bad thing you've ever done. Jesus bore that in his own body on the tree. And this salvation is not just an American thing. It's not just for those of us who speak English. It's worldwide. Jesus has ransomed people from every tribe, every nation, every country of the world, every people group. His sacrificial death was for everyone who would believe throughout the entire world for all time. And so I just want to pause right there because we need to stop. We need to stop and remember Jesus' intense love for us. He gave of his life so that we might live. And we are saved by his grace if we confess our sins and turn to him and surrender our lives to him. So if you're here this morning and you don't know that love yet, if you haven't yet experienced the forgiveness of sins and the freedom that comes with having your sins forgiven, let today be the day that you believe. You can do that by praying a simple prayer of confession of your sins and that you want to trust in what Jesus has done for you. You can do that today. I'd love to talk with you after about it. But for many of us, this is our hope. This gospel, it is our hope. Jesus is our hope. So let the reality of this heavenly gospel song cause you to worship afresh, to remember afresh the beauty of your salvation. Have you forgotten it? Has it been a while since you've remembered from what you are saved? Let it also spur you into action to share your faith. Because there's only one in all of creation who is worthy. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And you have the good news. So let this vision of who Jesus is spur you into action, to share your faith with your neighbor, with your friend, your coworker, even this week. Well, the Song of Redeem continues in verse 10, and it speaks not to what Jesus has saved us from, but to what Jesus has saved us to. It says that Jesus has made those he has saved a kingdom and priests to our God. This is language from Exodus. It's Exodus 19 where God promises if they, the people of Israel keep a covenant, he will make them a kingdom of priests. But we know that Israel failed. But now Jesus has accomplished what Israel could not. And he has made his people this kingdom, a kingdom of priests. What is God's kingdom? It's been inaugurated through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is reigning now and we get to reign with him. But we don't see everything in subjection to Jesus here on earth. Far, far from it right now. But it will be consummated. When Jesus returns, his kingdom will come in power and no one 
will be able to stand against him. So not only does Jesus save our souls, he gives us this inheritance of his kingdom. He gives us a new status as priests and a new calling to reign with him on earth. Jesus alone is worthy. The next circle of worship comes from the angels in verse 11. John hears this voice, the voice of countless millions of angels. That's what myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands mean. It's like in Greek, they didn't know how to say like more than I could understand. They just said myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. But it's basically so many angels you can't imagine. Countless millions that are worshiping. They're captivated by what the lamb has done. And so they proclaim with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In other words, the angels who long to look into this plan of salvation see it revealed now. And their appropriate response is bursting out into praise and worship of the Lord Jesus. Then we see the final circle of worship and it's expanded to all of creation in verse 13. It says that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all human beings for all time, essentially is what it's saying, all the animals, all created beings, they're together giving praise, saying to him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, Jesus, be blessing and glory and honor forever and ever. You might remember what Paul said back in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee would bow, every tongue would confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The dead, all, all people of all time, every knee would confess. Now, not every knee is confess to him as Lord because some have died here but, uh, and, and they will be punished for not trusting in Christ. But here it's everyone in all of creation has bowed the knee to Jesus. It's likely a vision of the future. And in this incredible concentric circle, many concentric circles of worship, Jesus is freely worshiped as God the Father was worshiped back in chapter four. It's further evidence that Jesus is God and that he will be worshiped for all eternity. And so when we see this picture of reality, everything else that we value and have spent so much time on seems to fade away in the distance, does it not? Celebrities don't seem quite so intriguing or attractive when we consider the reality of who Jesus is. Their glory is temporary, it's fleeting, but Jesus' glory is forever. The stronghold of money and power and influence loses its grip when we realize that Jesus deserves everything that we own. Our comfort and our security is no longer the most important when we see the worth of Jesus. We see that he is worth giving up everything to follow, even unto death. So Hope Fellowship, let this heavenly vision transform the way that we worship. Because when we worship together corporately, one key aspect of what is, we're doing is we're emulating the worship that is already going on in heaven right now. We're following the template on how to worship Jesus. So I started the message by asking, where is the world going? And I'll ask it again, where is is this world going? 
Well, Revelation 5 shows us that Jesus has the scroll to history. Jesus alone is worthy to carry out God's plans for the world. And it's futile to search elsewhere since no one else in all of creation has been found to be worthy. He's the Lion of Judah. He is the Lamb that was slain for us who now reigns in power. And that truth, that truth should lead us to worship because the King is on His throne and He will bring about His purposes for history. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy that you poured out upon us in Christ. We are so grateful that you have given us a way to be redeemed, that we are counted, those of us who believe in you, among those that have been ransomed from all the earth from all time. Worthy is your name. We worship you today. In Christ's name, amen.